Our message today comes from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, uh, and it's verses 18 to 25. So let's read that now. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God. For, those, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much that you're in our midst today. And Lord, I just pray that you would just bless and anoint this word, Father God. Anything that I speak, Lord, may it just be of you. And anything that's not of you, may it just be cast to the side. Father God, as we come here, Father God, I just pray that your gospel would just be so amazingly shone forth to all the people here, Father God, that we can just come and just receive of you, Lord. Let there be nothing that's not of you to be here today, Father God, but just more and more of you, Father God. Let you be enough in our lives, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So, this may actually come as a surprise to some of you, but in the grand scheme of things, I haven't really been a Christian for all that long. I only actually came to Christ when I was around 18 years old. And if you had asked me back then what I thought about the gospel, even though I was a Catholic, I would have said something along the lines of, well, it sounds nice, but it doesn't really make much sense. And why would I believe everything that the Bible has to say? I'm sure a lot of you have actually heard super sim had super similar experiences. Maybe it's been in your own personal life and your own personal faith journey, or maybe it's been from some of the people that you know. There are many people in this world who just see the biblical story as nothing more than a set of fairy tales, and nothing more than that. And that's exactly what Paul is explaining in our opening passage here today. See, to those who haven't been saved, they perceive the message of the cross as absolute foolishness. Now, before we get into it, I just want to address this word foolishness that we're going to be speaking about here today. Because it's one of the core ideas that Paul is really trying to draw out here in this passage. He even says it five times throughout these verses. So this word that we translate into foolishness uh, in the Greek is the word moros. Uh, it's where we get the modern word moron from. And this is what you absolutely did not want to be in society. Not to make this a history lesson or anything, I know that can bore people to tears, but it's something that's super important to know, especially if you're reading Corinthians, because the Corinthians as a society were absolutely obsessed with wisdom, more so than probably any other city of the time. So to be anyone who is anyone in society, you had to be the wisest and the most well-spoken person you could possibly be. So this moros, or the moron of the fool, 
was the absolute opposite of what society held dear. They were uneducated and they weren't well spoken. Usually it was just the slave, the person that nobody cared about at all. So to cut that short, what Paul is really trying to say here is to anyone who hears this message, it's the furthest thing away from wisdom that any person could possibly be. So let's hold on to this concept as we're looking through the rest of the verses. So when Paul is saying foolishness or when you hear foolishness, remember that it means someone who's really, really dumb in society's view, the exact opposite of what people listening wanted to be. Now I've broken this down into points because we're going to be diving quite deep into the passage. So the first point that we're going to be speaking about is that the wisdom of the world can't lead you to God. So See, this seemingly foolish gospel message was actually carrying out exactly what God promised in Isaiah and what he had been planning himself all along, uh, which is what Paul says here. He quotes in verse 19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Now, to be clear, this is not saying that intellectual intelligence is a bad thing. Intelligence is a bad thing. It's not talking about intellectual intelligence at all. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with studying and learning. It's fantastic. Everyone should go study if you're still studying. So don't drop out of uni or anything. Keep on it. What this is talking about is the idea that we could somehow match wits with God. See, from the times of Plato to Nietzsche and even onwards to modern day, humans have always been trying to put ourselves onto the same level of God or even over God. We've believed ourselves that we can somehow be greater than him, but God actually uses the gospel to flip the script on this whole thing and on our reliance on our own wisdom and thoughts so that we can only rely on him alone. And Paul tries to make this abundantly clear here to those who are listening. He does this by calling out those who are supposed to be the wisest of the wise in society who's the wise person, the teachers of the law, and the philosophers, who are ultimately, they were ultimately so interested in seeking wisdom that at the end of the day, they actually couldn't use any of that wisdom to know God better. So what he's trying to say is that it doesn't matter how wise a person is. You can have multiple degrees. You can know everything there is to know about everything, or at least try to know everything there is to know about everything. And at the end of the day, there is no way that that can lead you to God. So, rather than leaving it up to people's wisdom, because God knew that that was never going to lead people to God. It was always going to be their own thoughts. God chose to use the gospel message instead. And as Paul calls it here, the foolishness of what was preached. Now, I'm sure all of you are remembering that little intro. Um, and what we explained about foolishness, right? And you're thinking, Aiden, is Paul really calling the gospel moronic, the dumbest that dumb can be? The answer is yes, he actually is. Because to the world, that's exactly what it is. And that's exactly what these next two verses are going to explain. So let's break that down as well. Which leads us to our second point for today, that the gospel seems foolish to the world. And the reason for that is because it's not about wisdom and miracles. See, in verse 22, it says, 
Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. The Jewish people were always looking for this grand messianic intervention. They were looking for someone to come and deliver Israel out of the hands of their enemies. They always thought that the Messiah would come as a warrior, not as Jesus did. They weren't expecting the man who came and cared for the marginalized, who was concerned with healing the sick and feeding the poor and sharing the way to true relationship with God. That was never on their mind. And meanwhile, on the other side of things, the Greeks, as we mentioned before, were on this ultimate search for wisdom and knowledge. They started to view wisdom as the way to either know God or become a God themselves. And as I was looking at this, I sort of realized, isn't it crazy how similar it sounds to our own society? I mean, some people, like the Jews, will only be willing to believe in God if he shows them some kind of grand miracle. If they can somehow see someone being healed from, healed from their ailments or being raised from the dead, then maybe, just maybe, will they choose to believe in God. Well, on the other side of the fence, there are those who are waiting to see some sort of evidence that God is real. To them, once we can show that we've run the numbers and we can prove that God is real by showing some sort of empirical evidence, they might just choose to believe in him. See, it's been 2,000 years, but as a society, we're still stuck on the same things. Nothing has changed at all. But God knowing this, he doesn't run on human decisions. He's not here to cater for our every need. God knows that we idolize miracles and wisdom and that we focus on them so much. And so, even though it seems like foolishness to men, he took that away. And so he chose another course of action. In verse 23, it says, and this will be our third point, that the cross is contradictory to the world's logic. So verse 23 says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. The crucified Christ was a shocking thing to absolutely everyone. It was a complete contradiction. It's like saying that it's a nice, warm, snowy summer day. It just doesn't really make sense at all. It can't happen. See, the Jews who were familiar with the scriptures knew that Deuteronomy 21, 23 says that anyone who is hung on the cross, hung on a pole, is under God's curse. So to say that this heroic Messiah that they were all expecting to come and save them from the hands of the Romans at that point in time was placed under God's curse, it just absolutely couldn't happen. However, we know that it was God's plan all along, that even though it seemed like foolishness, that's exactly what he intended to do. In Galatians 3.13, it says that, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is anyone hung on the pole. See, it's a complete contradiction to what is expected. They already had this passage, but they were completely reading it all wrong. They didn't realize that this is exactly how he was going to save all these people by doing this thing that they thought was a curse and a bad thing. And 
then to the Gentiles on the other side who didn't know the scriptures, it would have been just as ridiculous. So to say that the Son of God, singular, that there's only one God is already crazy, but that the Son of God was a Jewish carpenter who died on a cross. The the death that was only for slaves and the worst and worst of criminals. That he did so, so that everyone could be saved. It would be ridiculous. First of all, back then, the idea that a God would do anything for you other than just leaving you alone was absolutely unheard of. Like if your crops weren't destroyed by a storm, that was great. That was God doing something fantastic for you by leaving you alone. So to say that the one God, the Son, died and rose again so that humans, so that we could all be saved, was absolutely foolishness. They would have thought that anyone preaching this gospel was absolutely insane. See, the gospel is this complete contradiction of human logic. It doesn't make sense by any sort of human logic. And this is where we get into point four. And this is really where the entire point of this message comes into play. And that's the gospel is the power and wisdom of God. See, the gospel went against, God went against absolutely everyone's expectations of what salvation should be. No one was expecting this, as we, we already know. They were expecting something fantastic, something wonderful that only the best of the best could understand. So anyone who doesn't accept Christ just ex- understands that the gospel message is foolishness. That's all they say it as. But as it says in verse 24 and verse 25, to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So even though it looks like foolishness to the world, we as believers know and understand that Christ is the very power and wisdom of God. See, through Christ's sacrifice and only through his sacrifice can we know God. We can't rely on any other form of human wisdom to try to understand it. And we can't be equals with God. It's our faith that gives us trust in what God has done. It's not any of this other stuff. It's not the miracles. It's not the wisdom. It's none of that. See, at the beginning of this sermon, I mentioned that if you would ask me what I thought about the gospel before I was a Christian, I would have said it's nice, but it's silly. But one day I met God. And I chose to trust him, and God made a way in my heart. He changed my heart through faith. And suddenly, the gospel message looked so different. From foolishness, it became the powerful God, the powerful work of God that he used to save my fellow believers and myself. This 
foolishness of God is actually so amazing. You don't have to be wise to accept it. It's just one simple message from the smartest to the dumbest. Jesus died on the cross and rose again to take away the sins of humanity. If you choose to accept him, he'll take away your sins and set you in relationship with God too. It's genius. It's not exclusive and it's not hard to understand. But it's for exactly this reason that it seems like foolishness to the foolish world. So while they thought that, or while we still think that power and wisdom is this grand thing, and that's what we're concerned with, and it's concerned with itself and the own self, God's power and wisdom is concerned with everyone else. It's a selflessly loving thing. That's what true power and wisdom is, and that's exactly what the gospel is. So I'm sure you're wondering by now, what does this actually mean for us today? Well, this is the gospel. This message is the gospel. So I'll say it to you again. Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross as a sacrifice for all mankind and rose again, so that if we accept his sacrifice and follow him, he will take away our sins and bring us into relationship with God. That's it. There's no other way to know God. It doesn't matter how wise you are. It doesn't matter how strong you are, how many miracles you've seen, because at the end of the day, none of that stuff is going to get you saved. None of it's going to lead you to God. Sure, we all want these fantastic things, right, in our lives. We want to be the wise. We want to be rich. We want to have miracles happening, and it's great. But at the end of the day, the gospel is all that we need. It's the very power of God. So church, it's a really simple message today. And what it means is that let's just trust in the power of God. It's the only power of this gospel. Let's trust in this gospel. It's the only way to God. Let's take out our steps in faith. And let's just know that we never outgrow the gospel. Let's try to give up on our own strength and wisdom and understand that it's never going to get us anywhere near God. That's not how it's going to work because the gospel is sufficient. It's enough. We don't need more than that. That doesn't mean it's not without its struggles. You know, God's still going to help you along the way. But if we forget about the gospel, if we start thinking that there's more to this than that, that's where we're going to go wrong. God's still going to help you out and it's still going to be a struggle, but that's okay because that's what life is. And as we go out, especially now that this lockdown is ending, let's just understand that this gospel message, and let's remember it, that this gospel message is the one and only way for people in your life and in this world to be set free from the chains that they're in, to know God. So even if this world rejects this message, let's live it out and let's preach this foolish gospel message. Church, all I ask is let's be fools for the gospel. So as we pray, let's, let's just ask God to give us faith. Let's 
ask him to help us trust in this crazy gospel message. That we wouldn't need more than this, that it would be enough for us. Even if the world rejects it, that we could just understand that it is the core of everything that we need. So let's stop relying on ourselves now and let's pray that we would, he would give us the courage to go out and preach this foolish gospel with everyone that we know so that they could know him as well. Church, let's pray. Father God, we just pray that you would make this gospel alive in our hearts. That we would stop trying to rely on ourselves. We would stop trying to see more than what there is. Stop trying to take this worldly approach, Father God. But we would just understand that this gospel is more than enough. This is your very power. This is your very wisdom, Lord. Lord, so wouldn't you just cement that in our hearts today? Wouldn't you just give us a deeper love for your gospel, a deeper understanding than that, Father God? Father God, so that we wouldn't try to move away from this, Father God, but we would keep this as the core of our heart. We would keep this as the core of our understanding of who you are, the glorious, the powerful, the mighty God that you are, and the loving God that you are. And Father God, I just pray that you would give us courage to share this gospel message as we're coming out of lockdown with everyone that we know that this would actually mean something to us, Father God. And even though it's foolishness, Father God, we would have the courage to share it. So God, wouldn't you just do that in our lives now? In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.